Welcome to The Real Journey Show. On this podcast, you can expect guests of all backgrounds and professions to share a real journey they have experienced in this thing called life. From origin to current, the rocky ups and downs in the middle, and what is yet to come. The journeys of each guest will vary, but there is one thing that will remain constant. The listeners will be reminded that life experiences have a compelling way of connecting us, inspiring us, and empowering us to stay real. I am Tara Martin, your host of The Real Journey Show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Real Journey Show. We are so excited that you tuned in today. We have a very, very special guest that I'm super pumped to have on the show. Um, He is an a fantastic educator, well-known. He's been on the Ellen show. He's kind of famous (laughs) and he is an author. He's a cool dude. He's as real as they get. And he works currently at Ron Clark Academy, but he is a jack of all trades. He's a speaker, entrepreneur, author, all things fantastic. And I just want Michael Bonner to be welcome onto the Real Journey Show. And please do, Michael, share like more formally what you do and where you're from. Well, thank you for, thank you for that warm welcome. I, can we record that? And on my rough days, I can play it back and then they can just remind me of who I am. Right? Totally. We'll just put it on repeat. <laughs> uh, no, my name is Michael Bonner and I am a fourth grade social studies teacher and I am a sixth grade reading teacher at the Ron Clark Academy, which is an amazing nonprofit uh, that works to try to figure out how can we make education better and just share those through share those tactics and ideas through collaboration so um, I love my job I love what I do I love being a teacher I don't ever want to stop being a teacher um, and, and that's just that's just who I am sure. I love that about you and that, I think that's really what helps you to stay real and stay relevant too you know it uh, before the show, we were kind of, Michael and I were kind of chatting about kids and how reinvigorating they are to our soul. And I think when you are born to be a teacher, you just know, you just know that like, you got to be around kids. I, I purposely make it a point to be in assemblies or with kids as much as possible, because it does just light a fire inside of me and remind me of my purpose. They have the ability to just they have the ability to keep you fresh and, and it's just an organic type of energy that they have with them. Um, and that's why I enjoy being a practitioner and a speaker because when I'm on, it's, I tell people all the time, it's easy to talk about educational theory or kids matter or things like that, but it's a difference when you're, you have to go back to the classroom and do exactly what you're saying on stage and kids will definitely test that, you know? So I'm glad that you enjoy this sentence. It's always a good time. They keep it real. They, they let me know, um, you know, I don't like this strategy. Like, and I've been teaching it to teachers. I'm like, you know what? We ain't teaching that any longer. <laughs> it's not working with all kids. <laughs> I ask them all the time. I think even doing online learning, because everybody was struggling which apps to use, which apps are best. I mean, I don't care what works well for my students. And do I have a toolbox big enough that I can switch out applications? So I will ask them, which apps do you like? Which apps do you don't like? And they will be brutal. Hey, this is great, Mr. Bonham, but sometimes we use it too much. Like, and that will help me as I go off and talk to other teachers or just talking to others in general. Like their kids are amazing. They're perfect. Perfect. Agreed. And they, they, to me, I'm not really trying to get it back to the real acronym, but they also can detect realness. <laughs> like <Yes>. none other. <laughs> it's like a sensor that they're born with. That's why I enjoy I work at a middle school now. It's, well, it's fourth through eighth grade. 
Um, fourth grade just got um, added on this year. But before that, I was K through five. And I used to just laugh at how students could just immediately, their body language would show how they feel towards someone if they don't like it, especially kindergartners. Oh my gosh, I loved it. So yes, they do have a way of telling if somebody's real or not. Um, and sometimes teachers don't like to pay attention to that detector when it's going off. Obviously, I know there's times that a child may say they don't like a particular person or they may not like a particular individual or subject. And sometimes the teachers take it personal um, but sometimes the, the students have a valid basis for why they don't like something. You might want to listen to that, uh, that data coming in, but yeah, you're right. Body language, I mean, it, it's just a good signal for even for adults. I mean, even when I'm speaking to adults, I watch body language constantly. I'm like paying attention. I'm like, Ooh, this isn't resonating or they really like this. It's the same with kids. I think, they start to realize, you know, like she's genuine. She actually cares about us or he or she. And yeah, they know. <laughs> and that's the coolest part. I love too because I tell people all the time, teachers are just, a, they're almost like a replica of their students. Because sometimes when speeches or breakout sessions, they do it the same thing that their students are doing. <laughs> so yeah, I think realness is a universal trait that everybody respects and hopefully everybody will hold on to as we continually go through our Agreed. Agreed. So Michael, you know, on the Real Journey show, we just love getting to know, I know that you are just all over the place. You put out the coolest content. You're always relevant. I love your little uh, segments on Sundays, I think, where you just share just a little tidbit of something that you're thinking about. And it always pushes my thinking. But I know people see this amazing human and all the fantastic things you do. And I'm sure that somewhere along life's journey, you've had some real, we call them real journeys. We've had some real instances, some experiences that have helped shape us in the person we are today. I'm just curious if you'd like to maybe share one of those or even just share your journey, like coming into education. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be educational related. It could be anything that shaped you into the man you are today. So we can, we can touch all of those topics. So we, I grew up in a small town, uh, Perquimans County, North Carolina, in, uh, well, uh, 11,000 people there, 11,000 people there. Um, and it was a small town, but I, it was a great place to grow up in relation to being with my family. But I noticed something the older that I became in regards to school and the connection of knowledge and the connection of who you are. And what people don't recognize with the American curriculum is that oftentimes people of color or just tough topics aren't necessarily addressed. So all my life, I remember growing up in downtown in the building, I was thinking about it the other day, but there was a Confederate flag painted on the downtown side building, and I would just pass it by every single day. Obviously, if you know history of the Civil War, it, it ignited due to slavery in the Confederacy versus the Union. Time Going through school, it taught me that teachers really do have the power to pull the blinds back on some things and give us real information. Eventually, I wanted to be an NBA player like every individual in a small town. So I decided to play basketball, came pretty good, had a full ride at college, decided to major in psychology and found out that I don't like talking to adults for like two to three hours about their problems, right? So um, I switched to elementary education. I said, I'm going to be a teacher. Had no idea what I was doing. All I know was every time we'll go into a school and we'll sit down and do read alouds, the kids will look up to us because we were like giant avatars walking through. I'm about six four, six five, and I was probably one of the shorter ones on my team. So everybody else was like these skyscrapers, and just to see their reaction of somebody coming in like that. So I was like, I would be a teacher in elementary because I don't think I can do middle school. 
Um, and I graduated from Elizabeth City State University, which is a university started for teachers of color. And I had my first job at South Greenville Elementary in Greenville, North Carolina. And that is when I found out that education looks different for everyone. Um, the school was 100% free and reduced lunch. Um, the Section 8 or government housing was 20 yards behind the school. The school is surrounded by barbed wire. In my six years of teaching there, um, I had 14 different administrative changes. I taught in four different grade levels. I had four different grade level teams. And I always remember going to the professional developments that they would send us all to, and, and we'll be beginning teachers there, and they'll be talking about their problems, and they'll say how, you know, uh, LaShawn may not bring a pencil one day, or they may talk about how somebody forgot their technology at home. And I'm thinking to myself, that sounds like a minute problem to what I'm dealing with, because yesterday Johnny tried to throw a chair at me across the classroom, <laughs> or I don't, my, my children are coming to school with the same shirt on four times out of the week. And that was when, I found out that education is completely different. And that's why I often challenge teachers, how can you call yourself an amazing educator, but you haven't taught in some of the most, the toughest places, the places where students truly need an education. And people fail to recognize that, we, I think we, some educators are just a little too prideful because they fail to see that some children are just automatically gifted. They're going to learn just they're going to grow by themselves they have the right support at home they have the right resources they have access to tutoring um they came out of the birth uh they came out of their mother uh pr proficient like they were good to go proficiency is on their birth certificate um you don't have to do too much for them but there are some students who really need those resources and those really need those strategies and who need social emotional learning and do all your theories and your methods have you tried to put it into practice with that particular marginalized group and that's where i've been at inside of my journey in my mind um, Ellen DeGeneres happened about four years um, into being at that school um, and I was so excited about that and they gave me the opportunity to go around the world and just really can thank God to this day still just talk about issues that teachers really deal with on an everyday basis because some schools do look like the target commercials going back to school and everybody's happy high five some schools look completely opposite um, and I think there has to be some type of awakening to the reality of what's happening inside of education and that's why I think COVID-19 has been interesting because COVID-19, if you ask me, has only exposed the inequities that were already inside of education and brought them even more to light. So, yeah, we could touch on that. We could go deeper. No, that's amazing. Uh, it reminds me a lot of my career. I started also inner city Topeka, 95% free and reduced lunch. So a little, a little more advantage than uh, you're 100% there. But uh, same, barbed fences, um, just a community where I wanted to give back to, I grew up high poverty. I grew up in a very um, abusive, addictive home life. And so I wanted to teach students and give back to students that experience similar, not necessarily circumstances, but similar disadvantages. And they had more disadvantages than even me, um, honestly. And so it just was such an eye-opening experience, even though I had grown up in that home life. Um, most of the students around me in our neighborhood um, had more, more uh, opportunities to be successful um, than my own family. So I can relate in that way. And I think, I, I do believe that you're accurate. You know, when I travel around and tell my story, a lot of people are in awe of it, you know? Um, yeah, most people just are like, wow, that really happened. And I'm like, man, my students had it worse. Like, I remember just 
coming home and, and that is a heavy job too. It's a heavy, it's heavy work to help students, one, get those opportunities, help them provide those resources to them. And we didn't, we had a lot of funding from the state because of our circumstances in our school, our whole entire district was um, on improvement. <laughs> so it worked out really well for our 25 elementary schools to get funding. But even though you had the funding, it's like getting the professional development to use that funding was really tough. And like you said, there was a lot of people around that were just talking about stuff and you're like, man, that doesn't, that is not an issue and we're not expelling kids because that is not helpful for them to go back into some of their situations from home. And so, yeah, thank you for sharing. That is such a cool story. It's a, it's been, it was definitely a journey. I think it gave me, because I saw things that just were not normal there. Mm -hmm. uh, if, so Dexiana, the, the Elder Generous show that I was looking to see if I had a picture near me. Dexiana's now in fifth grade. She was the one, if you go and watch the show on YouTube, she had a little tutu on. Um, her five years of being there, she's had 10 different types of administrative changes. That's not normal. And we know if you change, if you want to see a losing team, change the head coach every year, every two years, all right? So automatically for me, I already know what the education system can do and I know what its purpose is, but I often ask myself, are we truly giving students the best opportunity to be successful or are we setting them up through failure by handling situations appropriately? And I just always try to challenge people with that mindset because I do recognize, and even I think I put a video about it with Sunday Talk, that the education system at times has reinforced the craziness that happens inside of society. You know, you talk about, so we talk about growing up in poverty. I had the same similar situation, family didn't have a lot of money. Um, and oftentimes students who grow up in poverty um, have a high threshold to be able to persevere through different types of situations of pain. If you ask me, that's a perfect candidate to be an entrepreneur. That's a perfect candidate to be a CEO or to be a, a, a business leader in their own community, in their home, but our school systems don't necessarily cater to that. And I just try to get people to change their mind about that. And it's funny now because COVID-19 is forcing us to adapt and I'm loving every moment of it. I'm heartbroken by the, the lives that were lost and how people have had to go on unemployment at a crazy rate, um, 30.5 million, I think. That's the highest since the greatest depression, the Great Depression. But um, I do believe that's putting us in a situation to figure out how can we rewire or reform what our model of education was. Because you know it needs to be reformed when we have students making more money than the teachers by playing Fortnite online. Mm -hmm. Something needs to change. Um, and that's why I think people like Elon Musk, um, Tim Cook from Apple, they're saying that degrees not necessarily are meaningless, but they're, they're just degrees now. We're looking for people who have a significant value with the skill and I try to make sure I give that to my students and students often in poverty or tough situations can actually pick up those skills and pick up those skills quickly because they know how to go through tough situations. So I just try to view it through a different lens. Um, and I think students pick up on that real, that realness and understanding that. Well, and highlighting what they have, which is perseverance. And like you said, I mean, I, I was a first generation graduate. I knew by the time it was my second grade teacher that really honed in on giving me an opportunity to learn to read and just special tutoring me so I didn't have to go to special education classes. And one of the things that she taught me is just that you're greater than your current circumstances. She would tell me stuff like that. I didn't really understand what it meant back then, but I think what you're saying right now is kids that go through tough times and they have like an unreal amount of stamina. It's like this sick level of stamina. They also have this unreal amount of um, coping. 
and exactly. adjusting and pers- it's perseverance, honestly. And like you said, those are skills that when we start our own company or right now I'm in a position that I was not trained to do. I didn't get a degree for this position. But because I had these skills, I was able to push through and learn them myself, you know, go seek and find that knowledge and use all those things that, like you said, that shaped us into these people that we are today, because we had these, they call them soft skills, but they're really hard skills. And, you know, that we've developed through our journey. Perfect. And and even in in probably the most important that we're probably forgetting, well, not necessarily on purpose, but creativity. People probably know how to be creative quickly on a on a whim right and and i think that is where an educator who is brilliant can step in and be like okay let's change this activity let's deviate from the standard a little bit what kind of soft skills can i build with this child what are they catering to what are they leaning towards that i can actually bring out of them to help them be effective and that is why i speak that's why i do both I, i i'm a teacher love it will not stop being a teacher but i'm also a businessman because i understand our world operates on capitalism it's just the reality of it. We do not operate on morality. If we operate on morality, everybody will still be staying home right now for the stay home order. Businesses are shutting down. The economy needs to run, right? Another good example for educators who think that, oh, business doesn't apply. Yes, it does. You're only allowed to write off $250 for classroom materials in your classroom. If you had an LLC, a business, a small business, you can write off as many expenses as you like to under your current job title under your business. So our world operates off of another example. Let's keep going. The PPP loan that they provided for small business owners and large uh, corporations. Notice how they didn't offer, or uh, they offered that for uh, big corporations. They also did an incentive that they had uh, Tesla and Ford making ventilator, excuse me, a ventilator cost $25,000, right? But the government incentivized those companies and paid those companies for the ventilators for them to go out, right? You didn't see a law pass for the government to pay Google to get Chromebooks to make sure that students have the access and resources that they need. We operate off of capitalism, and the quicker that people can recognize that and tie it into education, things are really gonna explode. That's why people like Steve Isaacs, who uses Fortnite to teach his students math and engineering. You have teachers that are creating esports. You have teachers that are more open to the arts and students making movies and things around content. This, my, I have students right now who love building Legos. I told them you should start a YouTube channel. I have a couple of girls in my sixth grade classroom that are starting a lip gloss line and Mr. Bond is going to invest in their company. I firmly believe the education system was built in a sense to crowd control and just give people the best they can. But now I think it needs to move to how can we give students the best information possible so then they can take it and apply it to their gifts and then take off and be successful. Give them the option, whether they want to be a business owner or want to work for somebody. But don't just say, let's go off to college and do this. It's not a one-way track anymore. It's not a one-way track. A to the men. I believe that 100%. And I believe also that the, the teachers that are doing this, that are promoting this entrepreneurship in the classroom, um, kids are just learning a ridiculous amount of skills. I mean, I know if you're listening and you're an educator and you're like, oh, that would be cool if like we did that, but it's not going to hit all the standards that we're supposed to teach for our state. Well, yes, it will <laughs> times a thousand and plus more standards that maybe they don't even need at that age that they learn because they're passionate about it. I know there's so many things that I learn because I'm passionate about it and it's not necessarily something I need right then, even now as an adult, but I just can't stop down the rabbit hole because it's something or 
or Michael, like you said, teaching kids to serve others. So yes, these, these girls are going to create this lip gloss company. Well, they want to find out what do our people want? What kind of lip gloss do they want? They want the kind that stays on, the stay, stays shiny, that's colorful. Like, what is it? But you're seeking to serve and then you're creating to serve. And that's what entrepreneurship is all about. That's what getting into these roles that are not yet created, that's what it's all about. Like, and how do we serve our people? It's true. It's a, it's a direct correlation. It's a direct. Some of the most successful people criticize the education system because oftentimes we suppress those with gifts and talents, but because it doesn't show up on a piece of paper, we think they're not brilliant. They are brilliant. Um, they are extremely brilliant. And, and for those teachers that are saying, hey, I don't know how that will work, how it will look. I had an idea this year. COVID disrupted it. My sixth graders got on top of me because I really was going to pull it through. But I was having them build their own podcast. Well, how would you do that? That seems very difficult. It's not. It's really not difficult. Anchor FM will allow you to create a podcast, record it up there, and post it to all digital networks. And the next thing you know, if it gets incentivized, you'll be able to earn money from the podcast. So I had a CEO. I had a CFO, Central, uh, a central Financing Officer. Uh, that would take care of the money in my classroom. I had writers. I had people that would be producers. I had a board of directors that would vote on the name of the company. I had all of that going, and students were still learning. Well, how, Mr. Bonnet? Because the topics they talked about on the podcast were things that I did with direct instruction, small group instruction in class. So the podcast would become a fun way to review it, a fun way for them to operate in their creative roles, and also a fun way to share that gift and education with the world. And even if... Uh, they didn't, um, I, I guess even if the podcast didn't make money, they still found out how to build a legitimate business while at the same time learning about the information in school, whether we're doing novel studies. So it's just opening your mind to understanding that as an educator, you are a liberator in a sense. Your job, your main job, and that's why I hold on to it. That's why I'm not concerned about trying to be the most light educator or the most popular or person that's most well-known. My main job as an educator is to love my students with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. And then number two, to remove any ignorance that exists within that space. Because ignorance is when you do not know something. Stupidity is when you know something and you do it anyway, right? <laughs> so my main job, loving them with everything I can and every fiber of my being and then removing ignorance from that space so they can go and change the world. And, and that, is, that is where it's at. And then sixth grade, they took the business idea and wanted to flip it. They started talking about politics and stuff. They wanted to talk about current issues and things that were going on. I said, at point in time, the call to Ukraine and uh, impeachment was happening. And it made me happy because those type of conversations are discouraged in some schools. But as educators, let's think about it. If we don't allow our kids to learn how to debate with each other in a respectful way and to back up your premises with facts, how can we expect them to be a well-informed voting citizen when they turn 18? It's just it's going to happen out of nowhere. <laughs> no, it's not. So... Mom, it's all connected. It's all connected, and, and the education system is being forced to adapt right now. And if we don't adapt, we're going to be like Blockbuster. Because one thing we have to make sure we understand is that our students truly don't need us. They can learn the stuff from YouTube. They can learn. You, there's an application on Samsung where you can put in any algebraic equation, and it'll solve it in two to three seconds. So now it's what, what are we bringing to the table as teachers, and we have to become creative and adapt. One of the things I love about what you just talked about is just that you allow the students to do that in your space. So by doing that, in my mind, you are promoting those conversations, those courageous, tough conversations that could could lead to some um, real disputes, you know, if they wanted to, but in a space where you're the guide on the side. And so that is exactly what we need in education because 
I think that's what we don't provide enough. And so when they get out and they're 18 and they're like my son, they just move on to college and they've not had these types of experiences, then they either one, shy away from those types of conversations or two, get super hostile and go into this same kind of crap that we have going, and that's probably not a good word, um, going on in our country at this moment. But you providing this opportunity in a safe place where you can be the guide and you can help them like, Hey, this is insane with like digital feedback. I think anytime we're having these opportunities, so say they put this podcast out there, they start getting reviews. Say they get these reviews that are not so good. They start taking it personal. They have you right there to say, you know what? We can either take it personal or is there something from this that we can take and apply and actually make our podcast even better, you know, but they have you. You, and this and being a facilitator is important, like you said. And if you want a good example of what the education system has failed to do, we have failed to actually teach history and stuff correctly. And what we have done is we've been a reinforcer of racism and stuff inside of our society. If educators feel the type of way about it, look at your curriculum. Who does your curriculum mainly look like, and who does your curriculum stories are mainly centered around? Right. And and that is an uncomfortable conversation. But that conversation came up with a situation right here in Georgia with Ahmaud Arbery um, with with racism and just everything that's happening. We, we play a we play a part in it if we remain quiet on it and don't give students the chance to dive through it and talk about it and then use evidence and facts from history to back it up. We're, we're robbing them. And what happens is that uh, social construct of racism or bigotry, um, the, the concept of homophobia, uh, the, the concept of being uh, biased towards indigenous people, that thing will continually live on. The statement alone, go back to where you came from, is so rooted in ignorance and stupidity because the only group of people that should be able to say that are Native Americans or indigenous people. But how would they know that? Should know that through history what they're learning in school, but some people are just afraid to touch those topics. And I believe in fully uh, uh, making my students knowledgeable of all those things, of everybody's perspective, of everybody's experience. So when they do become older, they can be informed, they can be well-intentioned on their decisions, and more importantly, they can be a great human being. Exactly. <laughs> People praise students. We, we have a bad habit in education. We praise those that are proficient, but their character is below average. And those that may not be proficient, their character is amazing. We sort of put them to the back burner because they don't make our data look good at the end of the year for the county. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm more so focused on kids and student center, and that's why I refuse to leave the classroom. And that's why I always challenge people that are speakers or whatever the case may be, that the strategies that you're presenting, if they're not equitable for everyone, if they can't apply to every student, then it's probably not a good strategy. <laughs> you know, it's probably not a good idea. Um, so I think we're just adapting. I know there was a lot, but it's just, it's all been circling in my mind. No, you just, you just spew all you want. It's, it's fantastic. I'm like a kind of a listener. I'm supposed to be hosting the sucker and I'm like <laughs> just absorbing. It's so good. So one of the things I've been thinking about, and you've mentioned a couple of times, is just how COVID-19 has kind of brought this opportunity, one, to bring to light the inequities, and then two, to highlight some of these talents and strengths and and abilities that these students are bringing to the table. And I would love to hear like from a teacher perspective or any perspective, from the Michael Bonner perspective, like what have you seen and what's really just been eye-opening for you as far as specifically? I know you said that that has been eye-opening, so I'm kind of curious about the specifics. Well, yeah, I found out quickly, if you was a terrible teacher in the classroom, you're gonna be a terrible teacher online. <laughs> That's a good observation. Quick, 
Um, secondly, they're not going to pay attention if you're not talking about anything. It's changed. They don't have to sit in your classroom. They maybe they're optional for some teachers, some counties and teachers. They're not learning any. They're not teaching any new content. Students aren't required to be there. So if you're not talking about something, they are not going to show up. So what I have had to do for me personally is I had to design, and I've, I've worked with it every week. I'm getting better at it every week. It's not perfect. But design some type of structure in my 30-minute class that makes students want to get there. So the first couple of minutes is some type of mean political cartoon, something eye-catching, something current, something that they're aware of that's happening around them. After that, I'll read a, do a read-aloud inside of my sixth grade reading class, read a couple of pages, ask the tough questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about this person? Why do they stay in an abusive relationship? Then I'll break them out to small groups with a higher-order thinking question, um, and I can pop into the groups on Zoom, and then I'll wrap it up with something fun, whether a game or a game kit or something. Uh, but what you have to understand is if you're not, if you're not talking about anything, they're not going to pay attention. And even down, COVID-19 has challenged the concept of classroom management. It's challenged the concept of grading. What's the purpose of grades, right? Like, it's challenged all of that, and it's made me adapt. Um, and I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it because if you truly want to get better in life, doing the same thing over and over again, there are certain habits that you just can't take into a new season, right? So a good example is that, I want to keep it real, Mr. Bonner is a entrepreneur, uh, so I'm an educational consultant. I do the keynotes and the books and things like that. And what's happened is, with COVID-19, all those things have shut down. Public spaces, you, you can't go into the public spaces because of people's safety. So I had to re, uh, basically adapt and redo my entire business model about going out and doing speeches or how I communicate with teachers or how do I even present content to them and I think it's good that teachers are thinking of the same thing in regards to our students. So instead of sending a, doing a Twitter chat, I have a text messaging program where I talk to the teachers one-on-one, you know, inside of the classroom, instead of asking them to do an article on News Zelda, which they do, and they annotate and they send questions. I put a video up last Friday where I asked them to do a character analysis of a character um, and do internal traits and external traits and draw me a picture about how you feel about the person in the character. Give me a song about that character. Take it up another level. Go and find evidence in the read aloud or in the text that we talked about to prove why you picked that internal conflict. If you say the person is biased, if you say the person is an introvert, what has happened inside of the story that you can attach to that trait? And then they have, they don't recognize it. They feel like they're just drawing and listing one word, but they're, they're learning. They're building those inferencing skills. They're building those uh, details of first standard reading, how to go find explicit evidence in the text. And that is how learning has to happen and shift. You can't just expect kids to look at you for 30 minutes to an hour on the screen and pay attention. It's not happening when they have Fortnite and Call of Duty in their face and it's moving way quicker. We're never gonna be as entertaining as video games, so you better adapt quickly and figure out how to talk about something meaningful to them, for sure. <laughs> Very, oh my gosh, yes, so true. And one of the things I've heard other teachers do, just like you, um, just giving them some options, you know, and finding some of their students um, what somebody I visited with on a uh, Facebook Live recently, they were talking about one of their students being a songwriter. I personally write songs. I love, I, I play the piano. I love writing. And um, find, they found one of their students to be a songwriter through this process because she said, you know, I really don't want to make a video. Video is not really my jam, but I have a really great idea for writing a song as how it relates to that character. Is there any way that I could do that instead? And so not only did she write the song, but she plays the guitar and she put chords to the song and actually sung it during their, their Zoom. I was like, now that is yeah. awesome. And the coolest part about the teacher explaining this to me, she's like, 
I had no idea that this kid, I forget how old, like eighth grade, like a really young kid could write and compose a song based off of their content. So I think Zoom has just kind of opened up these ideas and kids are in their place where they feel, you know, they're in their homes. Some of them feel safe in their homes. This kid obviously did. And just was right there with her guitar that that made her feel secure. And she could just put the content with her, her passion and bring it to the classroom. And the kids were just in awe. They're like, you got to try out for the talent show next year. <laughs> you know, they were so stoked. I'm going to incorporate next year, whether we're in school, whether we have a hybrid model, or we're doing online and in school, there will be some type of area where it will be choice. It will be choice. And you can, of course, modify it. How to do this work in middle school. Modify it with the how strenuous the activity is, you know. But for me, I'm going to do that because choice is powerful. I try to explain to teachers, if you're not enjoying it, your kids aren't going to enjoy it. If you're doing a strategy or if you're in a staff development and they're having you Parents sharing and talk to somebody and you don't like it. Why do you make your kids do it? Like you have to figure out ways to constantly be innovative and put as many tools into your toolbox so you can just pull them out for whichever dynamic. Kids go through different stages and seasons throughout the school year. Sometimes they're excited. Sometimes they may not like the content you're covering. You got to be versatile. And I'm glad that teachers are adapting. I, automatically with this kid in eighth grade, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, all right, what can we do? He's doing songs with that. It'll be so dope to record. Get him inside of a group. Somebody record something together, make a, a movie or a small short movie about the, the book. And then he'll come in and play the song over the synopsis. Like there's just so many things that can happen which will benefit them in today's society. Yeah, and what I love too, now that you brought that up, it just made me, like my creative teacher, Ryan, is going too. But even, so he said, she said at the onset, video is not my jam. Well, maybe somebody else in the classroom, video is their jam. So then they make a, what if they made like a, a music video of her song and then they put it like somehow with the book, like you said, they just could, there's just so many ways that you could start collaborating. That person create a song during a certain scene of the story, then have another person who's great with poetry do spoken word at the climax of the story. Like, there's so many ways to create a product from what students are learning outside of a specific worksheet. I'm not on the camp of being worksheets forever. I feel like sometimes people say that they aren't in the classroom. You're going to need a sheet of paper sooner or later for something. <laughs> but I do believe in being versatile and giving students options. Um, and I know I've mentioned that a lot with. Uh, business and stuff like that but I just for me personally as a man I've recognized how having my own business has given me the opportunity to give back to teachers who are absolutely amazing and they may teach in environments where I used to teach it and they just need a slight push they just need some type of help some way their students may need some type of resource and I'm just glad I've been able to donate and give in that light because that's extremely important that's what I want people to know most importantly about Michael Bonner. I say I'm gonna be a multimillionaire because I want to affect education in my own terms and own ways. I know how it is for districts and counties and certain situations or systems and places to sort of suppress creativity. And I wanna make sure if that does happen, I can step in and be like, hey, this isn't gonna happen. Let's help this teacher make magic happen for their kids. Because some teachers are amazing, um, but they just have certain structures and stuff, stuff around them that's stopping them from being great. So yes i couldn't agree more donors choose is kind of one of those things i'm constantly looking at like what can i and if any time there's a teacher i'm always searching it you know seeing what i could donate to and i am constantly looking for the places where those are looking for tools for creativity because i just think it should be so much more present in the classroom so when i see stuff on there i'm like oh that's the one that's the one i want to donate on yes yes 
Yes. So, Michael, I know you've written a few books. I would love for you to chat about those a little bit and how people might use them in the classroom. And yeah, please do share. First book was um, called Get Up or Give Up, How I Almost Gave Up on Teaching, a true book, because I wanted to quit teaching after my third year. I was over it. Working in an environment like that and, and that constant chaos and no, no real support. I feel like in my class and as a beginning teacher, I was done. So I decided to, to document that book, released it shortly after Ellen. Somebody was like, Why did you, how did you write it so quick? I was a psychology major. I used to kick out 20-page APA papers, APA formatted papers all the time. Writing a book is... It was easy to me, just organize it. Um, but that book has been great. A lot of teachers have um, responded well to it. I enjoy it because I don't want to be the one that writes a research uh, book. You know, I want it to be stories. I love talking to people about situations. The second one I wrote was the children's book called Embrace It, which is over there. Embrace It, um, I found out that, I want to say, uh, African-American students are represented as the protagonist, well, the, yeah, the protagonist in children's book about 12%. Um, compared to animals, which is 50% and so on. So I know that it lacks representation. So I decided to write a children's book based off of my nephew. Um, That's about a young man who uh, is smart and intelligent, but he gets frustrated with the problem and he blows up in class, has a complete meltdown. For all the real teachers that have seen meltdowns before, it's not pretty, right? Um, so what ends up happening is in the book, the teacher goes through different people, influential people, LeBron, James, and Michael Phelps, who were bullied or went through tough situations, and they use those situations to propel them to success now. And that book is great because I try to break history. I try to create something new. So with that book, if you take your cell phone and scan it, the characters will pop up in 3D motion on top of the actual book. And I know that's... Uh, that's not normal. <laughs> and I also know I can make it into an evergreen book. So if I want to change the characters of the book on the front to your podcast, when people scan the book, your podcast pops and they can watch it, I can do that. So just trying to push the envelope with anything that I release and put out. Um, I want to do it not for the sake of just making products. I want to do it to actually help affect some type of change. Fantastic. Oh my goodness. Both of those books sound amazing. I I think anyone listening, you should, uh, we'll include the links down below in our show notes. So please do click it, get, get one. And you need to connect with this guy because he is fantastic. You've heard him today. You know that he, he stands for what most of us, if you don't believe in what he stands for, you should. So <laughs> just FYI. Um, and then also, he, you just put out great content. I love your content. I love seeing what your kids are doing. I also just, like I said, I love your little Sunday chats and your blog is fantastic too. So please do share how that our audience can connect with you and also any other thing that you feel like you need to share, like if we didn't cover something. Okay, so for me, um, the ways you connect with me, obviously social media, you have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is microbonic underscore for all of those. Um, I do have a business number that I purchased. So if you want to text me, um, just text anything, Bonneville or whatever, to 833-593-0363. Um, the reason why I have the text messaging service over email, if I'm honest, is because I, want, I have some very big things signed up and planned for educators this coming year. And I only want to give it to those that truly believe in, you know, what am I, my mission stuff is here. Um, so that is the reason for that. And um, honestly, if I can just tell anybody anything, it's just you, you have to find yourself in a position <clears throat> of understanding you have to move at some point from living life from surviving to thriving. And I found out the year that I was about to quit education, I was surviving. I was, I was dealing with a crazy marriage before I left. I was struggling at the school. My mother was sick. 
Um, I wasn't doing well financially. And I just found myself saying, like, I did not want to keep living my life like that. I didn't want to wake up every day and struggle was a norm for me, that stress was a norm for me, that arguments and frustration was a norm for me, that, that pain that you see in your students' eyes when they're hungry and you don't have anything in the closet, they don't have anything at home. I didn't want that to be a norm. So I came to the point of understanding that I needed to redesign and rebuild myself. And I began to connect with people. I began to do research. I began to do PLCs. I began to reach out to mentors. I began to learn about business. I started learning how to do photography. And my life slowly began to change. And to every teacher here, I really want you to understand the power of you know, who you are. Not only do you help children open up their world, to open them up to the world around them through the knowledge that you may give them, but you are a creator. A creator is the the, the best gift that any of us could ever have. That's why I'm a fan of and saying that every teacher, if you ask me, should have a small business. They ask, well, what could I do? Listen, if you can differentiate a lesson for 25 to 30 kids every day and then have to teach from a standard, then to design the assessment to do that standard and then put in the data for it, of course you can put in your numbers for your own business, make up new products and design your own logo and stuff, right? So I often, my message to people is I wanna push them to go as far as you can go and to be the best that you can be and don't settle for mediocrity. Settle for, don't settle, just go ahead and be great. And be great is, is subjected to whatever looks for you, what it looks like for you. For me, being great is being a multimillionaire because I know how many kids back home still in Greenville that I'm connected to. I know how many people I serve every day. I know they need those resources. So that's what great for me looks like. You have to determine what great for you looks like and figure out your path to getting there because we can obtain it, we can achieve it. It's just going to take some work. It's just going to take some work. Yes. I love it. Dream big. I mean, if your dreams don't, I love that quote, if your dreams don't scare you, then they're not big enough. And I, I really believe that. And I, I, people always say, what's next? And I can always rattle off like 10 things that's next, but I don't ever know where the plateau is or where the end is because I don't want to, honestly, I don't want to. I just want to keep tackling each little uh, benchmark that I set to get to the next stream and the next stream and the next stream. <laughs> and so, it's the, it's the beauty of this evolution. You know, you're, you're constantly evolving and through, the, through you evolving, you actually, once you achieve those goals, you're helping somebody else, which I think is, is so beautiful and so amazing. Um, so I, I know for me, uh, you know, what I talk about, what I stand for, and sometimes it can be controversial. You know, I know being a keynote speaker, I'll touch on, you know, racial issues and things inside of my speeches. I'll touch on the, the marginalized behavior data and stuff inside of the school system. And you know what, if I'm honest, I know that can affect my bank account um, because that is not a popular topic that people will talk about inside of the education realm and keynoting. But I've made up in my mind this. There's a quote that I saw that said that taking action and not taking action are both still actions. Nothing is neutral. And for me, I know every day I go back to a classroom where kids really do look up to me. Like they, that's Mr. Bonner, that's my teacher. And I just refuse to go through life and to be an educator and serve others without giving every piece of information that I can. Whether it's teaching them about books, you know, this book is anti-racist that I'm reading about that's helping inform me so much, or whether it's giving them access to information or knowledge in regards to business, I'm just willing to empty myself out to make sure that the next generation has a fighting chance to be successful. And that's why we love you so much, Mr. Bonner. We're so excited that you joined the Real Journey Show. You are just, set, you're a young man, but you just have so much wisdom beyond your age. And so we are just so grateful to have you share, to have you share your resources, your books, your knowledge, your passion. And yeah, man, 
This is good. I can't wait to tune in even more to other episodes. I've been listening. I'm enjoying it. Thank you for all the work that you're doing and making these and amplifying the voices and stuff. It is so important. And I appreciate your journey and everything that you fought through to get here. Now, when the, this podcast turns into an actual series on Netflix, I just want to have a B-roll spot. I just want to just... <laughs> I'll get off camera. You have an A-lister, dude. You're in. You're in. You've already been on the Ellen show. Like, you totally are in. <laughs> You're awesome, dude. Thank you so much for joining. We just really appreciate I appreciate you. I appreciate the work you do. I, I believe it 100% in everything that you stand for. So thank you so much for just all the wonderful things that you do. Just keep rocking it, dude. And to you. And, and, and to be safe and be awesome. And thank you for everything you do. I really do appreciate it. You're awesome. All right, guys. So that's going to wrap up the Real Journey show for this episode. Remember next week, same place, same time, new face, so new sound. And yeah, we just can't wait to hear what you think about Michael Bonner's Real Journey. Remember his resources are linked down below in the show notes, as well as his books. You want to pick those up. And if you want to connect with him, he even gave you a text mess a text number so that's like rare and unusual and that is awesome so be sure and text him thank you so much for joining the real journey show we are excited you tuned in today and hope that you have left feeling inspired and empowered to stay real and share your real journey with others remember real it's all about being relatable exposing a little vulnerability approachable and learning through life you can connect with me on Twitter at TaraMartinEDU or visit my website, TaraMMartin.com. Please use the hashtag RealJourneyShow to share your thoughts of today's episode. Tune in next week, The Real Journey Show.